Hello, everybody, and welcome to Living in the Third Degree with BPD. My name is Brad Shattuck, and I am your host. This podcast is about my personal experiences, stories, and events with dealing with borderline personality disorder, otherwise known as BPD. My experiences with BPD is due to my wife, now ex-wife, who I have been with for 34 years, was diagnosed with BPD in 2012. And I want to share my experiences with you so that if you are someone who has somebody in your life with BPD, that you may relate to what I'm saying along with my personal tips and suggestions that may or may not work in your specific situation. And if you are someone who has been diagnosed or think you may have BPD, that you may recognize the signs and understand the havoc and turmoil that it can have around people that are involved in your life. Let me caution you that I am in no way qualified or certified in the field of mental health and that my personal suggestions are merely my personal opinion and do not recommend that anybody take any mental health therapy into their own hands, but to personally seek out the help from a professional in the field of mental health. And furthermore, if you are a couple, you might even consider counseling to help further your relationship a little bit better. So with that being said, I hope you enjoy the show. Hello, everybody. Thank you again for listening to Living in Third Degree with BPD. My name is Brad Shattuck, and I'm your host. And this episode is called Try Turning the Tables. And what it is is I've collected um, some tips that I have tried in my particular situation with my wife, um, as you know, has borderline personality disorder. And a lot of the stuff that I've learned has just been from research on uh, forum groups, uh, Facebook groups, what I've read um, just on various websites or listened to with audiobooks or other podcasts um, or things that have come from people that have BPD or people on the other end like myself who lives with somebody who has BPD and I figure these are some of the tips that I've learned and used and they've actually worked now they haven't worked all the time but they have worked in different situations um, so this is for The people that um, don't have BPD, I would suggest maybe offering these tips to them um, yourself. But for the people who have BPD, what I want to say is, you know, they always say if if the core is on the silver hot or red and you touch them, you're going to get burned. Every time you see them red, you touch them, they're going to get burned. So unless you understand until they're black and cold and you touch them, you're not going to get burned. If you don't change a situation and the same outcome is the same all the time, which is usually bad or, you know, ends in somebody being hurt or both of you being hurt and making the relationship rocky, maybe you should try a different approach. The way I look at it, what do you get to lose? So a lot of these things, you know, I've typed in certain situations that I've been in and uh, come up with, you know, these uh, tips for solutions. Um, but also just listening. I've said, oh my God, I've been in this situation, so I've tried it. So, because right now, um, me and my wife have been through another split. Um, you know, we were getting back together after our divorce, and um, now it's May 21st, and um, the last time I saw her was on her birthday, April 6th. Mine's April 7th. And I went up there, and she wouldn't accept the card I gave her or... Uh, the gift I gave her for her birthday or the cake and she sent me away and it was the first birthday since we've been together that I haven't sent her or gave her a birthday wish even when we were going through a split before I still found a way to send her flowers or let her know that I didn't forget her birthday um, I showed up there on an a couple of weeks ago to ask her why she hasn't responded to my texts, my phone calls nothing just completely ignoring me like I'm nothing like I meant nothing and um, it didn't turn out too well I was there for about half an hour and it ended nasty so right now I'm just trying to collect my thoughts and everything so I haven't really done many episodes so I can get my head together a little bit so I figured you know it's not fair to people who have sent me emails stating how I've helped them so I don't want to make anybody else suffer if I've been helping somebody else and that's what this podcast was really always about so with that being said, uh, like I said, this episode is try turning the tables and give it a shot. Like I said, a situation that you come across all the time, if you get the same outcome and it's not a good one, it's going to hurt to try something different. 
So with that being said, thank you again for listening, and let's get on with the episode. Hello, everybody, and again, thank you for listening to Living in the Third Degree with BPD. My name is Brad Shattuck, and like I said, this episode is called Try Turning the Tables, and um, it's all about new approaches and tips and suggestions of things that, you know, I've tried over a period of time, and I forgot to mention, you know, I have a counselor as well, and there'd be certain situations that I'll bring up to my counselor, and you know, have her offer me a suggestion. And I always try, you know, what she does suggest. That's what I pay her for. And, um, you know, if they've worked, um, there's some of the things that I put down in here. Um, you know, this is a collaboration of, you know, tips and tricks that I, I could remember at the moment. Um, it was many that I tried to remember. It, my mind's been really messed up the last couple of months. You know, as I mentioned, I haven't talked to my wife more than 20 minutes and since... April 6th, and it's really hurt me, killing me bad, real bad. So I haven't really been put out any episodes or anything. I just haven't been in that right state of mind of kind of balling up in a shell here so I can try to figure out what I can do to get back into her life and have her come back into mine. But, you know, like I said, so many people have sent me wonderful emails saying how, you know, my tips uh, and stories have helped them. So... You know, again, this podcast is all about trying to help other people that are in my situation um, in one way or another, whether they have BPD or don't. So, you know, why should I make my listeners suffer? So anyways, um, you know, there's an old analogy they've always said to kids or, or people, you know, if you see the, the coils on the stove red and you touch them, you're going to get burned every time. Not, not one out of 100, not two out of 100. Every single time those are red, you're going to get burned. And if you know that, you don't touch them when they're red, you know, you understand when they're black and cold, that's when they're safe to touch, you know, so in a situation, if you approach it the same way, do the same thing, you, most likely you're going to get the same outcome, you know, it's never going to get any better. So the way I've looked at it is, um, you know, want to try a different approach. You know, I'm not always saying they'll work for you, but, you know, like somebody told me, isn't it worth it to try something different? So going to offer these to you. Um, one thing I, I do want to say is like, you know, what I like to say to people with BPD is, you know, if you care enough about yourself, number one, you got to care about yourself first and care about the um, relationships that you're in or, you know, past ones, you know, wondering, you know, what, why does everybody leave me? You know, every time something bad happens to you, most of us, we blame ourselves. You know, and especially if, you know, say you've been in 10 relationships and they've all ended the same way of them saying you're crazy, you're mean, you're a bitch, you say horrible things, you're a horrible person. If they all say that, what's going to happen? You're going to believe that. You're going to say, you know, these people all can't be wrong. You know, everybody says the same things. So when you look in that mirror and, you know, most of the people BPD have this disorder, they, they see a bad person in the mirror and, you know, you're pretty much, you know, I listen to a lot of things with law of attraction and they say, if you're in a bad situation, you put yourself there. It was something that you did. I would think of it more on a positive note, there's things that you didn't do to take yourself out of a bad situation. I try to look at everything the, the light way. And it's weird because the law of attraction, everything is supposed to be all about positivity. You don't sit there and say, you know, I hate being in debt, you know, opposed to saying, I'm not going to be in debt. But yet they'll always say, if you're, you know, in a bad situation, you put yourself there. Well, if you still think positive, you could think there's positive things I didn't do, you know, to not be in a better situation. So with that being said, you know, um, what I'm trying to say is unless you change the, you know, maybe if you care about yourself enough and you say, you know, last 10 guys told me, um, and the reason I'm, I kind of like play the part of, you know, uh, the non-BPD and the other person being, you know, a female, because that's where I have the experience. My, my wife has BPD, so that's where my experience is. You know, obviously men have it too, but as you know, the disorder is mainly a woman's disorder and the majority of the people are women. So, you know, take it however you will with the situation. You know, I'm not trying to be sexist or point the finger in any way. Um, but 
Um, oh, and the other thing is too, um, I, I'm trying to get used to this new microphone. I, I, I got a new condenser mic. Um, it cost me almost 200 bucks. It's a really, really nice microphone, um, but I'm still learning how to use it, um, how to direct it, angle it, and how far I'm supposed to stay away from it. I've done some you know, testing with it, and I don't want to get that puff. Um, you know, so I'm still new working on it. So if it goes, the volume seems to go up and down, it's because I'm not used to it. So anyways, um, like I was trying to say, you know, if, if those past 10 people have said, you say the most horrible, disgusting things to me, if they all say that, then think, what are those horrible, disgusting things I do say? Well, if you don't say those horrible, disgusting things, people can't say it about you. So, you know, it's the same thing about, you know, if the, if the coils are always red and you touch them, you're going to get burned. Well, if you don't change that way, people are still going to be saying that about you. So try to take inventory on what people have said to you and say, you know, people always say this about me, that about me, this about me. Is there a way you can change it? You know, I'm not saying, you know, that you're, you're the horrible person. Everybody else is, you know, um, better or bad or anything like that. But it, you got to care about yourself, you know, and they always say you got to love yourself before you can love somebody else. So many people with BPD, especially my wife, I have cried many times when I've seen her pass by the mirror and she'll whisper, you know, I used to not, you know, watch when she walks in the room and um, because she would blur things off and I thought she was talking to me. I'm like, what'd you say? And she wouldn't repeat it. So I'm thinking she just said something bad about me. So now I pay attention when she walks in the room. Um, even if I'm reading something, I'll be paying attention. And she'll walk by the mirror and go, you're such a disgusting person. And I used to think she was saying it to me. She's not. She was looking in the mirror saying it to herself. So finally, when I approached her and I said, you know, I watch. Why do you say that in the mirror? And she's like, because I, when we argue, I say these most horrible and disgusting things to you. You know, so, you know, that, that, that means I'm a bad person. Or, you know, if we get into an argument and... Um, She'll say horrible things about my body um, and cut me down. And she said, you know, maybe because I'm disgusted with my body, you know, I want you to feel bad about yours. You know, so I tried to explain to her. I said, you know, most people with BPD, it's a proven fact to another statistic that they're generally a lot better as, in far as relationships than other people. They're more um, affectionate, romantic, loving, uh, caring, you know. But it's the bad things that overshadow it. You know, you can, you know, say everybody has a score of eight, you know, as far as being in a relationship. People, BPD may have a nine, but most people, when they're in an argument, they may be at a level six. People with BPD are at a level 10. So, of course, the bad's going to overshadow the good. You know, people do the pros and cons. Hey, she's awesome when she's good when she's good. She's awesome when she's good. When she's bad, she's the worst. And that's usually what most people look at. They look at the pain more than the pleasure. Me, on the other hand, you know, it, this, you know, anybody with BPD would be lucky to have somebody who has a thought process like me. I personally love my wife so much that, you know, people say it all the time. You know, why do you go back to her? Why do you go back to her? Because I love her that much that I am willing to go through, you know, from up to 30 days through 20 days of hell to get 10 days of pleasure because when she is good she's the most unbelievable woman in the world the most unbelievable human being the most romantic person i could ever ever be with so those 10 days of unbelievable you know makes it worth the 20 days of hell no it's not you know um it doesn't make it better you know because anybody could say well you could have somebody where you have 20 days of pleasure and two days of hell doesn't matter. I love this woman. I don't want any other woman but this woman. I'd rather be single for the rest of my life. I love her. I know everything about her. I love everything about her. And even when she's in splitting, I, I tell her all the time, you know, why do you say I love you? I keep coming back to it. And she's asked me, why? Why do you? Because I love you. What is there to love about me? And I tell her, you want to list of all the good things? I'll tell you 300 good things about you. And, you know, there may be 20 bad things, but those 20 bad things are extremely horrible things. You know, it's like saying, you know, you can smack me in the hand a hundred times, but you can punch me in the face, you know, with a cement glove once. You know, that one punch in the face is going to hurt worse than a hundred slaps on the hand. So I try to give her a comparison of, you know, 
that way. And I do. I try to talk to her in, in a loving way. But when splitting comes, all that stuff is all gone and forgotten. It's, you know, uh, I consider BPD like literally like uh, a dual personality. You know, it, and we all have our good and bad. You know, when we're good, we're normal. When we're bad, we're an asshole or whatever. Um, but with BPD, we all know the splitting is horrible. And that's usually, you know, most people don't put up with it over a period of time. Um, and that's what sucks with people with BPD is in the beginning, you know, the relationships are, you know, over the top. They're, you know, um, the idolization, they'll do anything to please that person. But then all of a sudden, when they don't get what they want, you know, all of a sudden they're a cheater, they're a liar, they don't want to be with you, they hate you, they think you're disgusting. And, you know, then just all unravels from there, you know, because they're like, you know, in the beginning, you know, you were this, 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 and this, you were wonderful. And now you're just a crazy bitch, you know, and that's what they look at because you go from one extreme to another. Some people change a little bit slowly over a period of time, but people with BPD, it's one extreme to another. You know, there's no gray area. You're either on a level 10 or a level zero, you know, when it comes to being loving. You know, 10 is like the best, zero is like no love at all, <clears throat> where some people fluctuate from like, you know, a five to a 10. Anyways, um, you know, so back to like the idolization and devaluation. You know, my wife used to tell me all the time, like we've had uh, four businesses that we've started together and they were very successful. Um, they've ended because um, I gave them up because of the devaluation portion of it and uh, jealousy. A couple of them we ended up, I shut down because anytime there was a female involved as far as a female employee or a property manager that was a female there was accusations made. So I said, you know, I can't just keep going all the time hiring men or just, you know, have, you know, if I go to an account and it's run by a female, say, well, you know, I love this account. We can get it. It's a half a million bucks, but it's a female. You know, I can't do that. So I just ended up giving it up. You know, this doesn't make it better. That was my choice. I probably could have worked around it, but I gave it up. It was a bad thing. But um, with the idolization, you know, she used to tell me, you know, our businesses took off really fast, really successful, very quick. You know, at one time we went from um, back in '93, my uh, before she got pregnant with my daughter, we went from literally being on food stamps and me making uh, I was making like six oh five an hour at a plumbing and heating supply company, and um, we we couldn't even pay our bills. We we couldn't make it. You know, even though we were getting food stamps and assistance, we just couldn't make it. And um, I ended up. You know, saying we got to start our own business, and literally within six months, we went from not being able to make it, and this is back in 1993. Ended up making ourselves a salary of a thousand bucks a week and living in a luxury mill apartment, um, and having money left over after paying all the bills. You know, we, we always did really good, and we did this again in 2010 um, and a couple other times in between. Um, but when the devaluation part comes in, you know, in the beginning, uh, sorry, I skipped. Um, you know, when everything was going good, she's like, you know, this is awesome. You know, I'm glad you did this. You're a smart man. Um, you know, I always had faith in you. Look at you did. You know, you came through. You're finally giving me everything you, you always wanted to give me. You know, it looks like we're heading towards a way of home ownership and having, you know, a vacation home and getting everything we've always wanted and have a good future for ourselves and our kids. And then when she would split, it would be, you know, I only said that to make you feel good. You're really a sucky um, business owner, you know, your ideas are dumb. I just tell you they, they're good because I want to make you feel good and they really suck. You're a stupid man, this and that. And, you know, it, in the beginning, I would be like, she's got to be wrong about that because we do do pretty good. But then after she kept saying it over and over and over, I started believing it. So I just give it up. The same thing, like I was saying, if you keep having, you know, your last time relationships with them all saying, you know, you say mean, disgusting things you're going to believe they're mean, disgusting things. You know, if you're told that same thing over and over, especially by people that you love and trust, you're going to start believing them. Well, I love and trust her with my life. So, you know, when she said, you know, I know I said all that good stuff, but I only said it because I thought maybe, you know, you do better, but you really do suck. So after a while, I believe that. So I'd give it up, literally giving up, you know, making, you know, $100,000 a year or $50,000 a year, you know, because I said, well, if I suck that bad, you know, I'm just going to give it up. Um, but anyways, that's the problem with idolization and devaluation is that you, you know, with BPD, everything is one extreme or another. It's either hot, cold, you know, yes or no, black or white, 
there's no gray areas. Nothing. There's no middle ground. It's, it's one or the other. <laughs> it is, you know, it's on or off. Um, so, you know, when um, you tell somebody, you know, when you idolize them, you bring them like so high. Like, say you get into a new relationship and say they're a, um, a, a painting artist and, you know, whether they're good or not, it doesn't matter. But if you sit there and tell them they're the best, you know, you've never seen anything so good in your life, you know, they got uh, talent, this and that. Of course, that's going to make them feel good. Well, you keep telling them that, idolizing them, they're going to believe because they, they love and trust you. But then when you start devaluating that particular thing that you idolize them on all the time, every time you fight, you know, you really do suck at your paintings. <laughs> and, you know, if you laugh at them, I only said that because I wanted to make you feel good. Oh, my God, I feel like an idiot. It really does suck. I've seen second graders paint better than you. Well, if you start doing that every time because you know that's something they have a passion in and you build them up so much on it and they've even told you you know thank you i mean that gives me a lot of inspiration um i'm gonna you know really expand this because nobody's gave me such credit so you kind of hold that as ammunition like all right now when we fight i'm gonna blast you down on this so now every time you try to tell them they're good at it they're not gonna believe you because you said I don't care what I say when we're getting along. I only said that because I wanted to make you feel good about yourself. I really don't mean that. I swear I don't. Because now they're confused. Because when you're not fighting, you're like, I know when I was mad I said that, but I really didn't mean that. That causes a lot of confusion. Because people with BPD, I've noticed my wife and one other person, they're so believable on both ends. You don't know what to believe. Like when my wife has said I was a smart businessman, uh, she felt secure with me. We were going to build our business, blah, blah, blah. She said it very sincerely and, you know, almost had tears in her eyes. So I believe that. So when she said the bad things, the same thing. She said it's so believable that I believed her. So I didn't know what to believe. And then when we didn't fight, I would ask her, you know, when you said that bad stuff, did you mean it? No, I didn't. Then we're fighting. Yes, I really did mean it. You really don't. It causes major confusion. And no matter when you ask them, you don't know what to believe. So if... You know, you, you have to really kind of, if you want to not cause that confusion in the relationship and you cause problems further down the road, I know for a fact me and my wife would have been millionaires by now if I would have, you know, handled running the business a lot differently, you know, and not, you know, just gave it up so easily. Many people have told me that. And I, I know for a fact because we were very successful uh, at, at what we did. Um, so, you know, if you're going to idolize something, don't take that same thing and devalue, you know, do devaluation of it because if you keep playing that tug of war, they're not going to know what to believe. And then when you want them to feel good about themselves and you don't see them pursuing it, you're going to, you know, I've always told you you're a great artist. And, you know, I know I said this stuff when I'm mad, but you really are good. They're going to say, I don't know what to believe anymore. Or they just may not believe you, not say it. So you, you got to not play that tug of war. And again, with this whole episode is about trying to turn the tables. Turn the tables. What if it was you that they, there's something that, you know, whether you're, say, a, a gymnast or in, in a certain sport or have a certain hobby that they told you're really good at and all of a sudden devaluate, you're not going to know what to believe. So that's the problem with idolization and devaluation. You know, it just like you the same thing with the honor offers one side or another you know you either think of them as a saint or satan and that's the problem um you know you may tell them all the time they're the best person in the world the best provider best lover best boyfriend husband or whatever but then when you fight and you tell them that they're a horrible person they're satan they're not going to know what you really think of them so that that's one of the problems with uh you know one side or another black or white on or off is it causes confusion and you have to understand again if you turn the tables and they did that to you you'd be confused as well they just don't know what to believe and you know they're just gonna make the um the relationship suffer in the long run uh let me see what else did i write down here and um one of the other things um that may hurt uh, a relationship and possibly forever or any of these things possibly could ruin it forever because like i said when you love and trust somebody and you believe what they say and you know and i'm telling you this from experience and i've known my wife for 34 years 
And when she idolizes something that I do and then devaluates it, I honestly don't know what's the truth or not. So if that's coming from somebody who knows somebody for 34 years, I'm telling you, you can do a lot of damage to a relationship. And one of the biggest things you can ruin a relationship is in the bedroom. Um, now, here's an example, again, with my wife. Um, the past um, two and a half years that we got back together after our divorce, um, you know, in the bedroom, she would make, you know, wonderful comments um, saying, you know, this is what I really missed. Uh, you know, because the past, I would say before that, the last year and a half, maybe two years uh, before the divorce, it really wasn't that romantic in the bedroom, you know, because we were fighting all the time. You know, if we had sex, it was just to have sex. Um, but when we got back together, I made it super romantic, you know. Um, you know, I put the rose petals on the bed. You know, I tried to rekindle that flame. And, you know, she would look at me and, and put tears in her eyes and put tears in my eyes. And she said, you know, that was like the most romantic um, lovemaking that we we ever made that I can remember and I said I agree with you so you know a couple months you know went by and you know it was always wonderful comments about you know oh my god I wish it was always this good or I hope it's always going to be this good you know went on and on and on well that's the idolization part and I didn't realize that and I was probably not even thinking about it because I was hoping it wouldn't be but then when the fight started what's the one thing do you think she devalues yep the bedroom so then it would be uh but but on the other hand i mean most people do that the, the first thing you do when they get in a fight is they start cutting down that person's body and you know in the bedroom and your body parts you know that's that's almost normal but again people with bpd are known to go over the top and go above and beyond and we'd get in an argument and she would just attack that one subject and she would be you know, I know I said that, you know, it was good in the bedroom. I only said that because I was hoping it would be, you know, if I could give you like a little boost, but oh my God, what happened to you? You suck. And, um, you know, after we're done, you know, it makes me sick. I want to puke. And, you know, the first few times I, you know, say to myself, it's just doing that because we're arguing. But every time we argued, that's all that would come out. And after we would, you know, make love, uh, there wasn't that you know, idolization. So I'm thinking to myself, she just idolized me, but now all she's doing is devaluate me and not give me any good comments. So, you know, there'd be times that we were in a good mood and, you know, she would, you know, put on something sexy and, you know, obviously, you know, put it out there that, you know, she wanted to fool around. And, you know, I wouldn't really give into it that easy. And I'd say to her, you know, why should I, you know, all that nasty stuff you said about me. And she said, come on, do you really think I meant that stuff? Of course I didn't. And do you think I'd be sitting here putting all this sexy outfit on and, you know, try to, you know, you know, get romantic if, if I meant the bad stuff? And I said, well, then you got to stop saying it. So, again, when we'd fight, that's what would come out. Oh, my God. It um, it killed me to sit there and lie to your face and say that I really meant that stuff. I only did it because I wanted to, you know do it. You know, I just wanted, you know, because I had needs too. But trust me, while we were doing it, I was thinking of somebody else. So afterwards, I said, why would you even say something like that? So then that would be a new thing every time we did it. You know, I thought about the guy that I was dating when we weren't together. So then I started believing it. So, you know, when we weren't fighting, I would ask her, um, you know, did you mean that stuff? And then it became, she wouldn't even answer those questions. She's like, are you really going to bring that up now? Are you really going to fight? Are you looking to start a fight? And I said, no, but I really want to know. I know, but why are you bringing this up all of a sudden? I'm like, because, you know, we've been getting along all day and, you know, thinking, you know, maybe we could have a romantic evening and I just want to know if those things are true. And she's like, well, even if they're not or they were, you know, that ruins my mood. I don't want to do anything tonight anyway. So that would start an argument. So then I would say, well, if you didn't say those nasty things, you know, I wouldn't have to bring it up. So that's the other problem is you bring those things up, of course, somebody's going to question it in their mind. And at some point, if they care enough, they're going to bring it up. And that starts a fight in itself. And, um, and the other problem is she would say it so much that I believed in my mind, you know, it, I think it affects men and women both when you torture them about in the bedroom, whether it's how they perform, 
um, or something about their body. Um, but I think men take it a lot worse, especially when they start attacking body parts. Um, but there was, I remember one time she came in with a sexy outfit on, but she was kind of playing it off like she wanted me to notice it and come on to her. Well, she was dancing around in it and she had, you know, it was really, really sexy outfit. And trust me, it, I think my wife is extremely sexy. I, I, I think she's the most beautiful woman alive, the most sexiest woman. And what really sucked was it wasn't turning me on. You know why? Because I'm thinking in my head, did she really mean that stuff? Is she, every time she wants to do it now, is it, like she said, it's just to do it because she has needs to fulfill, but the only way she can grin and bear it is have to think of somebody else, and then when we're done, she has to, you know, it, it makes her ill, you know, so is that going to turn me on? No, because I'm thinking about the after effects. So after a while, it started becoming more of a, a task, you know, to try to get myself worked up. And um, there was one night, like I said, she literally, really, really did herself up. And I was thinking to myself, wow. But then, unfortunately, it wasn't arousing me. And after a while, she finally looked at me and she said, are you kidding me? And I said, what? She said, I've been prancing around here. I got all done up for you and looking all sexy. And you haven't even given me like a second look. Like you're almost ignoring me. What, am I not attractive to you now anymore? Do you have somebody else? Are you gay? I'm like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. So I said, do you want to hear something? So I sat her down and I explained to her what I just said. You know, you say all these things and I'm thinking, you know, about you really aren't attracted to me and you're thinking of somebody else. She looked at me and she said, that is the poorest excuse I've ever heard. I don't care what any woman says to a guy. If their wife or girlfriend walked around the way I am putting myself out there, I'm sure you'd want to do it with them. And I said, but the difference is I don't have sex just to have sex. I have sex because I love you. And 34 years later, when I make love to you, it's just like doing it for the first time. It's magical. It means something. It feels more than just good. It's a magical experience i get tingles throughout my body to me it's a magical experience and it is i would never have sex with her just to have sex i it just that's not what it does for me for me it's going to be the whole experience it's about the holding the touching the kissing the foreplay the making love the afterwards of cuddling uh the comments afterwards of you know that just you know telling her how that put me in heaven is right now i i've literally got goosebumps on my arms talking about it because it's true i love her so much and it killed me so bad that i couldn't get usually she could walk in the room with a sweatshirt and sweatpants on and her hair up in a bun and it, that to me i could get, instantly get turned on by her and that night that she got all dressed up and she looked at me and then she started crying and she said are you not attracted to me anymore and i said no that's not it at all. And that killed me. And I said, I can understand how you'd feel, but look at my point of view. So if you don't do these things, it, all it does is it snowballs and it makes problems after problems after problems. Well, for almost a month after that, we didn't do anything. She didn't try. I didn't try. It just became a non-existent conversation or, or moment. And that killed me because, you know, even being together 34 years, I've always been attracted to her every which way, head to toe, everything about her. <clears throat> and, you know, we always made love. We enjoyed making love. And for that to be non-existent and then that tension in between, none of us wanted to make the first move. She didn't want it because she was afraid how I would react or worse, not react. And I was afraid, you know, to come forward to her because I was afraid she'd say, well, no, you know, we'll look at what happened last time. So neither one of us made a move, and I know it killed both of us. You know, I know it did, because we loved making love to each other. She even said before, if we broke up, we should still be bed partners because we have always had good sex, and we did. <clears throat> so that really hurt things. And even after that, you know, when we got in a fight, that became a new thing. That became, and you can't tell me that, you know, 
Um, that was just a poor excuse. You're not attracted to me anymore. You must have somebody else. I mean, any, I don't care. Even if any guy didn't love his wife, just to even get it, you would do it, you know, uh, with somebody who came in there trying to turn you on. And no matter how many times I explained to her, it's not just about having sex. Because I told her before, I said, I love you so much that say something happened, you could never have sex ever again. You know, say um, you had something wrong that you, a doctor said you just can never have sex. I said, I just wanted you to know that I would never leave you. I would be just as satisfied by hugging and cuddling up to you every night. As long as I had you in my arms every night, I could definitely deal with that and not have to worry about making love ever again. That's how much I love her. And I, I really do mean that. And I know she has met, she knew I was telling the truth when I said that. And what really killed me one night, this is what really killed me, was to see her cry. But <coughs> try to explain to her that she brought it on herself was one night she was the one who broke the ice. She came in and she took her robe off and she had the most beautiful lingerie on that she bought you know without me knowing and it was absolutely gorgeous it was the, the, the most beautiful one she's ever gotten she did herself up she dyed her hair she styled it um and she went all out and she said you're gonna tell me that you're gonna say no to this and i looked at her and i said i'm definitely not gonna say no but can i just tell you one thing you don't have to go this far you know, to have me attracted to you. I told you before, you could be in sweatpants, sweatshirts, and I still would be. But I understand you do it because you want to feel beautiful. You want to feel like a, a woman. But I'm just letting you know, you don't have to go that far if you think you have to. That's all I'm saying. And she said, I know that. She said, I just, I wanted to kind of make up for saying those bad things about you. And I said, wow, she, you know, really means this. But, you know, at the same time, because it's a mutual thing, because... If she wants me to make love to her and make her feel good, obviously she's going to have to meet me halfway. And this is what killed me. This really killed me. And I think it really put a big damper on our relationship. Without being too graphic, I couldn't, you know, she started coming on to me and everything and I couldn't get aroused. I, and it was the first time ever, ever with her. Because like I said, I've been attracted to her. But the whole time we've been together, I could not get aroused. And I know what it was. And my counsel confirmed it. Because again, I was scared in my head that afterwards it was going to be the cut down and the torture. And I was still upset and hurt about all those things. And still unsure if she really meant them or not. And even if I convinced myself she didn't mean them, it still hurt that she could say those things. It really could. And she knows just as well because I made one comment to her once about a part of her body. And it took her a long time to get over it. And I never did it again. So she knows how bad it was. But anyways, she literally sat up and started crying. She said, now I know. That it was all bullshit what you said. You are not attracted to me anymore. She goes, I'm trying everything. And obviously you can't get aroused. And I said, no. She said, yeah, well, I guess you're going to blame it on me again. And I said, I don't like to use the word blame. But yes, in my mind, I'm still not sure if you really think those things. And afterwards, I'm going to hear all about it. You know, and I can see her point in a way because... I always got aroused no matter what it, it, because we used to have makeup sex all the time and she used to say makeup sex was the best a lot of people think that so we'd be angry as hell and I could still get aroused and do it and I said but there's a big difference of being angry at a situation but the things that you said about me and saying you know all these years you know um I thought you know this is gross or that was gross or was never really attracted to it but dealt with it because I loved you I said I really need to get over that stuff. And it was true. But she didn't believe that. And she sat there and she cried. And she said, I wanted to make myself beautiful for you. Beautiful for you. And see, she goes, I wanted in my mind to believe that you really did want me. And 
I was so sorry of the things that I said. I figured I would go all out and do this for you. Now I can see you're not attracted to me. And she cried like a little girl. And it killed me. It killed me so much to see tears come out of her eyes for something that was completely a lie. She thought that it wasn't attracted to her. She goes, I'm not even. And I said, you know, I said, that's not it. And I'm not cheating on you. I'm not attracted to anybody else. And she said, you know what? It's not even if you're cheating on me, you're attracted to somebody else. And it's not attracted to me. And here you are telling me all the time I'm beautiful and I'm sexy. But here I am trying to put moves on you. And you're not, you know, being aroused. So that means all that stuff was a lie. There's no way I could be attractive in clothes up. I can't turn you on in the bedroom. So again, what did it do? It snowballed into something else. So now she thinks all these times that I told her she was beautiful when she looked in the mirror and said she was ugly. Or she looked in the mirror and said her body was ugly. And I said, no, you're sexy. You're beautiful. Of course she's going to think I was lying about that. You know, because she brought up a lot of good points. But the bottom line is, the best point I had was, in my mind, she never said those things. And all of a sudden she did. And she compared me with another guy and said she had to think of another guy. So mentally, all those things have been festering in my head. And then the time came where, you know, it was time to, to perform. And my mind's automatically thinking, you know, if you do really good and, you know, she, you know, makes noises and really acts, is she, is it because of you or is she thinking of somebody else? Like she said she did. Um, you know, all these things going through my mind. And I tried to explain that to her. She wasn't going to listen. And as much as I tried and she saw me crying, it didn't help. She was hurt. She wasn't angry. And that's what killed me. Whenever she got angry, it never made me feel bad because I knew it was her disorder. But she, when she would cry and feel bad, that made me cry. Because as a woman not being, you know, your mate not being attracted to you, you know, because she's getting older, she's uh, 50, and now, yeah, because I'm 52, and, you know, she kept saying, you know, I'm getting older, you know, you're not going to be attracted to me, and I understand she didn't just say those things, because she knows how I am, she just wanted the reassurance, and I said, are you kidding me, and I've told her, I said, when I first met you, you were a cute teen, you know, because we, you know, we met 34 years ago, we were both teenagers, and I said, then you turned into a beautiful lady, and I said, now you turned into a gorgeous woman. And I said, they always say that some women get better with age. And she, I really honestly think she does. And I tell her, I said, if I had known when we first met what you'd look like today, oh my God, I would have been never made any mistakes or never risked losing you or getting a divorce. No way. I mean, she was cute, beautiful to gorgeous. Uh, and the same thing with being sexy. There is nothing that I've outgrown about her. 34 years, you know, some people have that, you know, seven-year itch or three months they get sick of somebody. 34 years and I'm not sick of that woman, not, not whatsoever. And I've told her she um, she satisfies every need mentally and physically. So there's no reason I would ever want to leave her or definitely go with anybody else. So I'm, trying to, I'm actually getting off track here. But what I'm trying to say is by things that people say, and that's whether you have BPD or not BPD. But the reason I'm saying with BPD is because they're more known to go over the top and really, you know, take it to a level beyond, you know, what it should be. Um, but, you know, with anybody, when you attack a sensitive subject like that, especially when it comes to the bedroom, that's something private. And everybody wants to be proud that they're, you know, they have what it takes to satisfy their mate or, you know, has the body parts to be proud. And, you know, but when you cut that stuff down, and you make that person wonder, you know, um, but, you know, but the way she did it, she said, I've always thought that way, but I loved you and I didn't want to break it to you. But you know what? I'm sick of it. Now you're going to know the truth. And then she'll keep saying that. I'm thinking, did she really always think this way? You got to watch what you say, because when somebody you love and trust that person so much, you know, like when a woman comes in, do I look fat in these jeans? They want your honest opinion. You know, I'm sure some people lie and say, no, you look good in them, but you know, do you like my hair this way? Do you like it this color? Do you like these clothes on me? Do you like this, like that? They're asking you because they want your opinion. They trust your opinion, you know, and they're hoping you're going to tell them the truth. And, um, you know, there's been times like my wife has dyed her hair a certain color. And she said, do you like this? And I said, 
I just don't think that color fits you that much. And she got mad one time and I said, listen, you always ask my honest opinion. Do you want me to lie and say yes? Or do you always, do you always ask me these questions because you just want a yes? Or do you ask me because you want my honest opinion? I said, you may like it. Maybe other people do. I just personally don't think it looks that good on you. You know, I would hope that you would, you know, yes, I can see you're upset because maybe, you know, you like that color. You went and bought it and spent all the time to have you had that color. But you asked me for my opinion. I'm going to give you my honest opinion. And a lot of times when I would say it like that, she's like, yeah, I did ask your opinion. So, you know, don't ask for something you're afraid of the answer you might get. And definitely don't ask if, you know, you're hoping they'll lie about it. So, um, you know, like I said, that that's the touchiest subject, I think, is when you start touching the stuff that goes on in the bedroom. Because that really, like I said, mentally can make somebody damaged, you know, uh, for the times after when you're hoping it won't. And like I said, in that one time when I couldn't get aroused... That was a mental thing because I'm wondering in my mind those things. And, you know, it can go both ways. You got to watch what you say because it can affect it. And it could have affected it forever. And, you know, it, it's possible it might have. You know, the last two months, no, wait a minute, maybe even three months before she told me to leave this past time, um, I couldn't make anything happen in the bedroom. I, she, every time I asked her, it just, it wouldn't happen. No matter if I tried putting the moose on her, or maybe it was just non-existent. So, let me see. What else have I got here? Um, yeah, it, so again, it just, it, it's a snowball effect. And it just, you know, next thing you know, she's thinking she's unattractive. And I lied to her. I might have somebody else. So it's that one problem can multiply. Let me see. You know, and the other thing is like, Everybody has to understand. Oh, this is a book by Dr. John Gray. I'm sure a lot of people have heard of it. It's called Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. And it's talking about the different languages that men have and women have. And um, and also different actions. Like they say the majority of the time when a woman comes home and she's bitching and complaining, like say about work. You know, oh, this lady at work, she always says this and that, blah, 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 blah. The men automatically think they're looking for a solution. So a lot of men would be like, you know, maybe she just quit that job and go somewhere else. And of course... You know, they'll turn around if they're not looking for an answer at all. Well, that so it's just that easy. You want me to just quit my job and get behind in the bills, blah, blah, blah. And it starts a fight. Well, you know, you were asking me for a solution. No, I wasn't. I was just pitching and complaining. So that's what the book talks about. It's like when a woman says this, they really mean this. Or when a man says this, they really mean this. When a woman does this, she's looking for this, you know, or not looking for this. And it talks about the language barriers. So I was reading one day about BPD and I can't find the article again now. And it talks about when somebody with BPD says this to somebody, what they really mean is it, uh, they have a different meaning for it. One of the things I read um, on that page, I wish I could find it, but it said, you know, that was the best lovemaking you ever made to me. But what they really mean is that's the best lovemaking you'll ever make ever again. Almost like, you know, I've got you now. You're never going to be with anybody else but me. You know, it's almost like they they say things to, you know, make you feel good about yourself. But what they're doing is entrapping you. It's almost the same thing with the adolescent and devaluation. You know, make you, um, you know, feel good about yourself and make the, the relationship seem really intense and like, you know, they're God. You know, like I said, you know, now this is the part where everything's good. It's great. They're a saint. Um, and then when you bring that person down, it's harder than usual. You know, they say the higher, you know, the higher you go, the harder you fall. And that's the truth. You know, if you're an artist and a painter and I say, oh, yeah, that's a good painting. You know, or every once in a while, oh, that's a good painting. But especially with somebody BPD where they idolize them and put them up on a pedestal and they go above and beyond with everything they do. Um it, you know, that's unbelievable. Oh, my God, I've never seen anybody, you know, paint like that. You know, you really should go somewhere with this. You know, it's unbelievable. I'm so proud to be with somebody who's so artistic, you're so gifted, you know, and make that person feel really good. Well, when you bring that person down on that, they're going to fall really hard, you know, because they really, you know, their ego is boosted. Uh, they think your uh, their reflection on you is so much better. Like, wow, you know, 
this person's really impressed by me. And, you know, that raises everything in their life about that hobby and about themselves. And when you bring them down, it's even a harder hit. So what I'm trying to say is like when you convey something to say something, try to understand if they said it to you. You know, if you're saying something to somebody, um, I should say when you're saying something to them, mean what you say. If you're saying that was the best love making, you know, you ever gave me, mean it like that and say it like that. Don't say something with an ulterior motive in mind, you know, and think, you know, I made you feel so good. You're only going to make love to me and never anybody else, no matter what. Don't mean it like that and have an ulterior motive. If that person made you feel really good, let them know, hey, you know, I just want to let you know what we did last night. You sent me to the moon. You made me feel really special. Thank you. You know, and that's it. If you're going to say something, don't say it confusingly. You know, and my wife used to do that a lot. Like, you know, she thought I was looking at women. Like, um, it was one time we went to a place called Swayze Park. And we had gone and got a couple of subs. And I said, you know, let's go have a little picnic. So we did. We went down. Uh, it's this place near the river. And we got a patch of grass. We didn't have a blanket because it was kind of, you know, sporadic. And we sat down and... There was, of course, a bunch of ladies jogging by, and you have to understand during the daytime, majority of, you know, men or women that work, it's men. Usually the women are the ones that are home, you know, in society these days. So, of course, there was a majority of women that were jogging and riding bikes and, you know, walking their babies around. And um, how did she say? She said, um, I think from now on, pignets are uh, pretty much going to be something I don't look forward to. And... I said, why? And she said, I'm just not a picnic person. But what she really meant was she didn't want to be in a place where there's a bunch of women walking around. And I found that out after during an argument. I, I said something about, you know, I'd go for a picnic, but you don't want to go for picnics anymore. And she said, well, that's not what I meant. I meant I don't want to go to a place where there's going to be a bunch of women flaunting themselves in yoga pants and stuff. So I said, well, why didn't you say that? I go, I didn't pick that place on purpose. I picked it because it's near near the water. It's shady. It's grass. It's a beautiful spot. It's clean. You know, if I would have known you were uncomfortable, I would have definitely, you know, got up and gone somewhere else. And she said, what, and ruin it? I didn't want to ruin it for you, you know. You, but at the same time, I thought maybe you went there because you wanted to see all the women. And I said, no, absolutely not. So he has a case where she could have said, you know, and I would have been fine with it if she said, you know, I really don't feel comfortable with a bunch of women walking jogging past us while we're eating can we go somewhere else and i would have because number one i love her number two i wanted to feel comfortable number three i want her to know that that picnic was about her it was about making her feel special and doing something to make her feel good you know <clears throat> and i wasn't there to you know make it as an excuse to sit there and look at all these women walk by i would have done that maybe some people would have been like hey you know it's picnic to picnic. I'm not going to sit there and worry about if there's women walking around or not. You know, if there's men walking by or men, women, you know, it is what it is. I don't mind working around it because I know she would do it for me. If there was a bunch of men, I, I know she would have. I know for a fact she would have. So I would have had no problem doing it for her. So about the thing with language, you know, she said many times certain um, comments. Like one time, um, and I didn't understand what she meant. We were... Um, kind of on our side yard and um all of a sudden out of the blue she just what were we doing oh we were raking raking and picking up stuff in the yard and she threw her tools down and she said you know what i don't give a shit what the yard looks like i'm sick of the view oh wait a minute maybe you're not i said what the hell are you talking about why well, didn't find us later on that night i guess the neighbor next door was outside and she, i i said she was wearing something skimpy i i never even noticed i didn't even see anybody outside and what it meant to her, but the problem with, you know, with, um, you know, dichotomous thinking, whether it's, you know, all it is is one way or another. It's either or, good or bad, right or wrong, black or white. There's no middle ground, no gray area. So to her, it was either shut her mouth and this lady's going to flaunt, I'm going to notice it, and the attention is going to be taken away from her, and I'm staring at another woman. Or... She can go inside and, you know, make a comment like that and we go inside. The middle ground would have been, and before I say this, the middle ground, because if it, the tables are turned and it was a guy outside and I requested her to maybe move in a different spot, she would have. 
So the middle ground could have been, she could have said, listen, the neighbor over there, I think she's flaunting herself. I don't want any argument. I don't want to make a comment. I don't want you staring at her. Can we either go in the house for a little bit or can we go to a different part of the yard? And I would have, and I wouldn't have made any comment or started anything about it. That would have been the middle ground, but it wasn't. It was, you know, dichotomous thinking was just either I'm going to shut my mouth and he's going to stare at her and look at her and not think of me, or I can make a nasty comment and, you know, he'll follow me into the house. But she didn't speak the language I understood. I didn't know what she meant, you know, about the view and, you know, she was speaking in code. So that's the problem, you know, with dichotomous thinking. It's, you know, if you start thinking what could be the middle ground, you know, especially if you know that person enough, you know, it's not just if I don't say anything, he's going to stare or I can make a nasty comment and he follow me in house. And that's ended up what happened in the gray area could have been a discussion. And that's the problem, you know, people with BPD of the, you know, dichotomous thinking or and a lot of people do that too, you know, is start thinking about alternatives. Um, trying to think what else I, um, oh, you, you know, um, the same thing is like, um, you know, when we first got back together, I was telling her I loved her all day long, all day. I mean, even when I didn't have to. And, you know, there was one day or a couple of days in a row, I guess I didn't notice it. I never even counted how many times a day I said I loved her. But I guess a couple of days in a row, I didn't say it as much. And um, towards the end of the day, she said, so I guess you don't love me anymore. I said, well, what are you talking about? I said, oh, I don't know. Like, since we got back together, you tell me all day long, morning, noon, and night, how much you love me. And last couple of days, you only said it a couple of times. So, again, that was, you know, either or. Because I either said it 100 times I loved her. And if I said it 99 times, I hated her. The gray area. So what I explained to her was I said, I'd never counted how many times I said it or not said it. If I don't care if I say it once, even if I say it no times for a whole week, I still love you. But I know everybody wants to hear it. But just because I say it 100 times one day for, the, for a month and then I say it 50 times a day, you know, for two months, it doesn't mean I love you when you're less because I said it less. You know, there just might have been certain circumstances that, you know, I might have thought you were upset, so I said it more. I don't know. I don't I don't really keep track of it. But I love you just as much whether I say it a thousand times or one time, you know, and it didn't certify by her saying that. She was actually hurt. But after I explained it, she said, Yeah, I guess so. But that's the problem. It there was no gray area in the beginning. You know, she could have taken me aside and said, Can I just tell you something that's bothering me? You know, I noticed since we got back together, you kept saying it morning, noon, and night, you know, 100 times a day. And the last couple of days, you haven't been saying it as much. You know, is there something wrong? So you try to train yourself before you blurt anything out. Try to think, step back and think, you know, rather than the black or white, you know, the yes or no, the either or, is there a gray area that I could maybe grab at an alternative way? You know, and if you try to change that way of thinking, we're all creatures of habit. You'll start coming into that habit of thinking different ways of asking. And try to think when you always act black or white, either or, yes or no, on or off, does it usually start a fight? Most of the time it will because you're only giving two options. And most of those two options are only based on your own benefit, not of anything that will discuss or come to a conclusion or a solution. If you hit that gray area, you're offering opportunity for you to discuss what the issue is and for them to offer a solution or at least get involved in the con uh, the conversation. With the yes or no, you already have your mind made up. I'm going to sit here and either take it or I'm going to be a bitch and break this, the spell of whatever you're in. Um, this one part I, I really want to touch on in about rationalization. Now, you can obviously take your own way of you know, rationalization. My wife, on the hand, has um, delusions and very paranoid delusions. There was one particular time um, I forgot to lock the back basement door, and one of the cats had, or the dog was in the basement and knocked a box over. Well, immediately, not thinking in the gray area that, you know, possibly one of the animals is down there and knocked a box over, which we found out later on it was, she immediately thought, um, because I forgot to lock the back door that I must be letting somebody in the basement and when she's sleeping, I must be sneaking down there and having an affair. So I said, well, first of all, why would I bring anybody here on your property and risk getting caught in your basement when 
if I was going to do that, which I wouldn't, but if I was, don't you think I would meet them somewhere else other than on your property, in your basement? I mean, think about it. And, you know, sometimes she'd be like, oh, I don't know, would you? And I said, well, let me ask you this. If the tables are turned and this is my house, would you sneak somebody in my basement and risk going down there meeting them when I'm sleeping and risk getting caught? She said, well, no. Said, what makes you think I would? So that's what I'm talking about, the rationalization and turning the tables. You know, number one, you know, don't cut them down for thinking it. Because number one, you're insulting what they're thinking. Anything that you attack them with, their thought or anything, you're attacking their intelligence, their thought process, you're, you know, telling them pretty much they're crazy or stupid, is to say, well, let me ask you something, you know, and give, give an alternative uh, in defense. You know, like I said, number one, if I was going to do that, which I wouldn't, reassure them that you wouldn't do that. Number two, rational alternatives. Don't you think I would do anywhere else but here? A rest area, in my car, on a back road, not in your basement, with you in the house and while you're sleeping, risk getting caught. That's, you know, a rational alternative. And then say, now let me ask you this, if this was my house, so you turn the tables and you do the same thing. And then when they realize, now nah, I wouldn't do that, that's just some silly, of course I wouldn't, well then why would I? I wouldn't either, you know. So when you do it in those steps, I've noticed so many times that my wife always used to think something about the basement. I don't know what it was. I've never done anything in a basement, but she always, whenever she heard a noise, and we'd always find out it was one of the animals, that I was sneaking somebody in the basement and going to sneak down them when she was sleeping. I don't know if she saw a movie like that or not. She would never tell me, but the bottom line is, when I finally did it that way, you in the past, I got to admit, I said, you know, I used to mess around and be like, yeah, because the basement's really where I want to have an affair. Or, you know, um, yes, because we just love dirty basements. I was making fun of her and making a joke out of it. And it never worked. It always got brought up. One time that I did what I just said to you, I said, number one, you know, I wouldn't do that. Uh, and then, you know, like I said, I asked her, would you do that? And gave an alternative. She never mentioned anything about the basement ever again. So it finally ended that portion of it. And the same thing one time we were sitting outside. And she heard some noises in the woods. And um, she got angry. She shut the garage door and she's like, um, yeah, we'll go in the house before, um, I know, because you want to run out in the woods and meet up with your girlfriend and screw her. I said, what? No, wait, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. We live in the woods. You don't think that's an animal that's out in the woods? No, not that kind of crunching. I said, well, wait a minute. Because you know what a crunch sounds like from a human in the woods or an animal, right? So well, I know. Um, it doesn't sound like an animal. I said, okay, well, maybe it isn't, whatever. But the bottom line is, number one, I'm not going to go screw somebody again on your property. In your woods, number one, it's 90 degrees out. It's hot and sweaty. We're both getting bit by mosquitoes. Do you really think I'm going to pull my pants down or somebody else will pull their pants down in the woods, get eaten by mosquitoes? What enjoyment would it be between smacking the mosquitoes off, wiping the leaves, dirt, and sticks off of our n naked butts? And if that was going to happen, which I never would anyways, there's much better places in a hot summertime with mosquitoes. That's in a vehicle with the windows up, um, a hotel, somewhere else, anywhere but that. So I said, well, wait a minute. If this was my house, so I did the same thing, scenario. And you had all those other options. You could go in your car, their car, another place, here or there. Do you think out of all those options that you would choose the woods with mosquitoes, sticks, and leaves and dirt? She said, no, because I'm not a dirty pig. And I said, well, guess what? I'm not either. So again, I wouldn't do that just like you wouldn't. And I would never accuse you of that because I don't think anybody would do that if they had options. And baby, I got options. Not that I would use them because the only option I believe in is the option of making love to my wife or not making love at all. So that didn't really solve it that night. Cause she, I don't know. She, I think she was more embarrassed to like back down from it, but I left it all on that night. But anytime we heard noises after that in the woods, it never got brought up again. It really didn't. Yeah, I, I do remember one time I did make a, a joke. It, we were outside and we heard crunching in the woods. And I quickly said, Michelle, are you meeting somebody out there? But I quickly said, I'm just kidding, honey. I'm just kidding. I love you. And she looked at me. She's like, yeah, very funny. And I ended it. You know, maybe I shouldn't even have done that. But, you know, I just wanted to let her know that I wasn't mad at her for saying that. You know, um, you know, I understand she's got a disorder. Uh, I, I've told it many times that, you know, with these comments, but it's either I tell her she's crazy, 
until she gets help or I try to tell her to get help or in the meantime I try to come up with alternatives and like I said if you have somebody BPD and you're in the same situation as me they're not willing to get help yet you know and you love them enough and you want to stay in the situation don't keep torturing yourself or making the situations worse because you can actually help some of the situations like I said it never got brought up again about me bringing anybody in the basement or out in the woods um, in other situations because like I said I started playing with that gray area I gave other alternative scenarios not that I would do them but I said you know if I was I have these options and then turn around and say well let me ask you a question if you knew you had all those other options would you choose the dirtiest of the one you know being in the woods or going in a dirty basement you know and of course they're gonna think no I wouldn't do that well I wouldn't either and it did stop a lot of the problems from there on but um, anyways you know that being said I you know I, I know I took a long time on this uh, episode but you know I haven't made any episodes in a while and I was sitting there thinking you know how can I help my listeners and the people that have written to me and that was to try to offer some tips that has worked for me and like I said there's many other tips that um, I've heard about that I tried and they didn't work but I'm at least letting you know the ones that did work for me and how I approached them and you know even if one out of ten works that's one out of ten less you have to worry about but anyways so if you have somebody with BPD and you love them and you want them to be in your life try to love them as much as you can and work with them because they find it so hard to love themselves and the more they can love themselves the more they can turn around and learn to love you so again thank you again for listening and have a great day love each other and happy life You've been listening to Living in the Third Degree with BPD. I hope you enjoyed the show, and please check out my many other episodes. I hope you get some beneficial suggestions from my experiences. And remember, we're all responsible for our own choices. I'd like to remind you that if you have someone in your life with BPD, try to understand them and love them as much as you can, because they find it so hard to be able to understand themselves and love themselves. So thank you again and have a happy life.